If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open to Matthew 1, 18-25. We read that in the beginning this morning for our scripture reading. Go ahead and Matthew 1, 18-25. I'm going to open by praying. Oh, Father, our hearts are full to hear uh, just uh, children singing your praises and uh, talking about how you make all things new. We do praise you, Father, for this grand plan that you are accomplishing uh, to make something beautiful out of something that can so often be so dark. Now, Lord, we praise you, Father, that Christ is enthroned now, that he is king over all, and that he is coming back to reign, and we look forward uh, to that. We praise you, Father, for uh, this, this incredible and really shocking uh, plan that you put into place uh, to save uh, sinners by your own son becoming man. And so we thank you, Father, we get to celebrate that this morning together. Pray, Lord, that you would uh, just give us uh, open hearts as we hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the uh, uh, fun things that uh, we've noticed since uh, coming to uh, Cornerstone Bible Church, this is our first full Christmas season here. It's just a a little over a year that we had our first uh, uh, Sunday here. But one of the fun traditions of Cornerstone is this exchange, or really I should say a flurry, of photo Christmas cards. And you may have noticed that, uh, more so on previous Sundays, all of a sudden it almost feels like uh, the uh, stock exchange, with all these things kind of going back and forth, and cards in the air, and uh, uh, it, is, it has really been fun to be part of. It's fun to get so many Christmas cards. Uh, some of you at some point will get some from us. They're printed, but most is like, Maybe not this Sunday. So next Sunday. If you were part of one, if you were part of one of those Christmas photo cards, what's pictured on your Christmas photo card? Maybe it captures the blessings that you're thankful for. Maybe for some of you, your card is missing this year the face of a familiar loved one. Maybe you've received a card from someone that brings back a painful memory to you. Maybe it's such a crazy season that once again, you're out of time and you're planning on next year's, Thanksgiving next time. Maybe taking one would seem for you kind of a sad reminder of unfulfilled dreams or of dashed hopes. It just wouldn't seem appropriate. Maybe your Christmas card feels like a facade, healthy and well-dressed on the outside, when inside, you know that you're enslaved to secret sin. Maybe your Christmas photo card captures the life you've dreamed of, or maybe it's evidence of broken dreams. We fix our hope on so many shifting objects, from the meaningful to the trivial. The perfect family, captured, I'm sure, in all the photos, right? Now, here's a dose of of a reality, when our four-year-old daughter Nora saw our Christmas photo, she asks, why do we look so old? (laughs) I don't know if she's referring to herself or to us. Maybe you fix your hope just on this whole season, the time off from work and the, the time with family. Some of you might be more stuff oriented and are still looking forward to Christmas presents, although you're too old for that kind of thing. Maybe you look forward to the Christmas parties, or maybe in this past year, you've had your hopes 
grow from political parties or maybe your hopes dashed. Maybe this upcoming year is what holds hope for you. A new year promise of a clean slate and goals definitely kept in this upcoming year. What have you put your hope in this past year? At times, we can feel like boats. Boats adrift without a sail and without motors. Boats hopelessly adrift. We find ourselves that we keep tossing out a rope to whatever tugboat comes passing by. Whatever tugboat comes promising to take us to joy. Whether that is the tugboat of family. Saying if you have the perfect family, you'll have joy. Or one comes along, the tugboat of health or financial security, retirement. Maybe for some of us, for a short time, it's the holidays. It's been a hard year, but the holidays are going to come around. We're going to have, it'll just be wonderful. Or maybe it's the promise of next year. The next year will be better. That you'll put into plan, put into uh, practice the plans you've made. There's so many of those tugboats that go by. Some of us, I think, are frantic. And our rope is going from one tugboat to another. A new job. New relationship. A new home improvement. All kinds of things. For other of us, we're kind of more of the slow and steady. Yep, I've got my hope fixed on this future plan. We're in year 27. It's going great. Only 15 more years of work to go. This morning, we're going to see three reasons from God's Word to place your hope in God's Son. Three reasons from God's Word to place your hope in God's Son. And not in some idyllic world that's often portrayed in our Christmas photos. As I said before, we're going to be Matthew 1, 18-25 this morning. It's written by Jesus' follower, Matthew, one of his disciples, to answer in this section here some of the obvious questions that accompany the preaching of a virgin birth. Right? Just saying that, I know that some of you this morning come with questions. A virgin birth, that sounds impossible. If you were to talk about that with some of your friends, they would definitely have questions. Right? It seems, it seems not just unlikely, impossible. So Matthew is writing to real people who have real questions. Now, Scripture plainly teaches that Mary was a virgin when Christ was conceived. But there are some questions for that, particularly questions that a Jewish audience would have in mind. Like, how would Joseph, who was in the line of King David, respond to his betrothed's pregnancy? He would not be the first man to ask that kind of question. How does Jesus, without a human father, have a right to this throne of David? Now, what some of you may not know is that King David had been promised that one of his descendants would always be on the throne of Israel. Well, right now, when the story takes place, the Roman Empire was in charge of Israel, and there was no descendant of David on the throne. Questions like that. But this section goes more further, goes so much further than answering those kinds of questions. In this section, we're going to see that God exalts Jesus as the hope of sinners. So what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to read a little bit, and then we'll talk about it. And as we go along, we're going to look at three reasons to hope in Christ. 
Matthew 1.18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child by the Holy Spirit. Now, a betrothal in ancient Israel was different from modern, from modern day engagements. It's more like marriage part one, marriage without benefits, without the perks. You guys know what I'm talking about. Betrothal would last a full year before a man would take his wife home. But they would call each other husband and wife. It was binding but not consummated. It could only be terminated by divorce. It really was marriage part one. Now, the scene is surprising, but not unheard of, at least at the beginning. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. Now, what Matthew doesn't record, the Gospel of Luke does. And it's the angel Gabriel's announcement to Mary that she would give birth to the Messiah while still a virgin. Now, that is unheard of. Afterward, Luke tells how Mary spent that first trimester with her cousin, with her cousin Elizabeth. No doubt upon her return, maybe four months pregnant, Joseph was surprised. The shocking part comes next as we go through Matthew 1.18. I mean, the truly shocking part, not just that she was found to be with child, but it was by the Holy Spirit. Now, it's said here with such a, a minimum of words and with such a discretion. It's nothing like some ribald pagan story of Zeus lusting after a woman and, and impregnating her. There's nothing like that here. Just by the Holy Spirit. It was the work of God. Now, we don't know if Mary told Joseph about this supernatural conception. Did she tell him before she left? Did, and I kind of think more likely that she came back four months pregnant and Joseph has a panic attack. Right? She's definitely showing by now. Does he just see her from a distance? Does he notice her at the family get-together? What is he going to do? Matthew 1.19 reveals a little bit more. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Joseph made the same assumption that anyone would in his situation, Knowing that he hadn't been with her, he assumed his wife hadn't been faithful. Now, Joseph was a righteous man. It doesn't mean that he was a perfect man, but it means that he was one who believed God's word and one who obeyed God's law from the heart. He's someone who loved God, who has put his faith in God. Now, the Old Testament law allowed Joseph to bring public charges against Mary. He would be right in doing so. He'd be righteous in doing so. Now, that could hypothetically end under Old Testament law and her being executed. Now, that wasn't very much, it didn't happen very often in first century Israel. But there was another provision, too, and that was that he could divorce her quietly. So that's what he does. He says, not wanting to disgrace her, at least that's what he's planning on, not wanting to disgrace her, Joseph chose the latter, planned to send her away, which could also be translated as, as divorce her secretly. Now, really, there's drama here. And part of that drama is that Mary is not executed for sex outside of marriage. Now, we know that she didn't 
have sex. But that's not what Joseph thought, and that's not what others would have thought. So in God's grace, God keeps this baby safe. But there's another problem. And that we, we, we get a hint of that in Matthew 120. But when he had considered this, and it's easy for us to miss the drama here, but this is exactly the moment when God acts. And there is drama in this. Joseph considering this. What is he going to do? See, the suspense is, what happens to this child if Joseph disowns him? Would this child still be in line for the throne of David? Could this spirit-conceived child be the Messiah, but not the king of Israel? What was going to happen if Joseph, the son of David, didn't accept this son as his own? And it's... We're at a crisis point in this story. Would the promised one fulfill God's promises, or would this child's story end really before it began? So let's read further Matthew one twenty. But when he had considered this, at this time of crisis, at just this point, behold, an angel of the Lord, and that behold means listen up. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The angel, God's supernatural messenger, honors Joseph by referring to him as the son of David. See, there was no king on the throne in Jerusalem, but God was keeping track of whom that throne belonged to. God reminds Joseph that he's part of a much bigger storyline, one which God had been writing from since King David, 1,000 years earlier, when God had promised to King David that one of his descendants would always be on the throne of Israel. And really, the storyline goes even further back. It goes backwards to God's promises to Moses to send a prophet, and God's promises to Abraham to bless all nations, and God promises to Adam and Eve that one of Eve's descendants would crush Satan. So Joseph reminds God reminds, the angel reminds Joseph of some of these promises by calling him son of David. And then it says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Joseph, either of the shame of bringing back this woman. And people would assume that he had been the father. Don't be afraid of the shame. Don't be afraid that in some way you're not going to be upholding God's law by doing this. And then the angel tells Joseph, perhaps for the first time, we don't know where this child came from. Of the Holy Spirit. This is God's doing, Joseph. This is, this is the next chapter in God's story. And that brings us to our first reason to hope in Jesus' birth. Jesus is evidence that God has not abandoned this world. Jesus is evidence that God has not abandoned this world. It's our first reason to hope. Into the mundane world of ancient Israel, the everyday world, the supernatural has burst onto the scene. A supernatural conception announced by supernatural messenger in fulfillment of supernatural revelation. Now, we know that God is in charge of everything in this world. Everything happens according to God's plan. Everything is his working. But there are times that he works outside of the laws of nature, which are really his laws, and he works in a supernatural way. The virgin birth is supernatural, but that does not mean it is not factual. These angels 
This angel in this story is factual. The prophecies that God made are factual. The God who sends the supernatural is factual. This is true. God has spoken. As Matthew writes this gospel, Matthew knows a virgin birth is naturally impossible. You know, these are not some dumb ancients who are okay with the idea of virgin births. Like, oh, that happens every couple months. He knows this is not believable. What's believable is that God has done it. As Matthew writes this gospel, he knows that it's naturally impossible. And Joseph responds with appropriate alarm that any man would to the news that his wife is pregnant with another's child. But the arrival of this angel announces something that's even more shocking. A virgin birth. But really, what we should be most shocked by is not God's method. That's surprising. We should be most shocked by God's motive. Many of us know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There we see God's motive, for God so loved the world. God could have abandoned this world. It is what the world deserved to go, really to take away even the natural laws, for everything to go and just to complete and utter chaos. But God doesn't, and he hasn't. Instead, God loves the world. Enough to send his eternal son into the world so that his son could become a holy man to save sinful men. And then God continues his supernatural work and continues not abandoning the world by announcing that good news to men, by speaking into this world, first by an angel to Joseph, and then today, this morning, through his word to us. God has not abandoned this world, but he has spoken. The book of Matthew that we have in our hands, that you have on your phones, is proof that God has not abandoned this world. He is here this morning, working through His Spirit to bring life through His Word. He is active this morning in this sin-loving, God-defying world. God entered into this world and He is still working in this world. We have not been abandoned by God. Jesus is evidence that God has not abandoned this world. Now, as a first century Jew, Joseph, suffering under Roman oppression, married to an apparently unfaithful woman, Joseph may have been tempted to think that God had abandoned him. He may have been tempted to think that God had abandoned Israel. They'd been waiting for hundreds of years for a Messiah. But God is clearly acting on behalf of his people. Listen to what the angel says in Matthew one twenty one: She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. At this point in the short narrative, the angel reveals to Joseph the gender of this child. Now, we take knowing a baby's gender for granted in today's world of ultrasounds and gender reveal parties. Right? We take it for granted. Back then, I think it was like a 50-50 chance. In the first century world, there were no pink or blue balloons, no cake cutting revealing some special color frosting, 
No smoke bombs. I don't know if you've seen those on Facebook. Blue or pink smoke. The angel tells Joseph what only God could know with 100% certainty. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. It's more than a statement of fact. It's really a command here. You will do this, son of David. You will call him Jesus. And when you name him, son of, son of David, like this is what would be going on behind the scenes. When you claim him as your son and you do this when you name him, he will inherit your right to the throne of David. That's why he calls him son of David. See, Jesus is a common Jewish name. Like, I don't know, Bob. I don't know what common names are now. Bob. In, I don't know if that's a common name anymore. It used to be. We could talk about that later. Anyways, you know what the common Jewish names are because you get into your baby naming books and you're like, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one. And then you get into something kind of obscure and cool. That's what babies are named now. Jesus was a common Jewish name. It was the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. The name means the Lord saves. Yahweh, the God of Israel, saves. Every boy the Jewish parents would name Jesus was a prayer that God would save. But unlike those other boys, the angel prophesies that Jesus will save his people. Not from Roman tyranny as many Jews hoped. He would save his people from their worst oppressor, sin. That brings us to our second reason to hope in Jesus' birth. Jesus is the Savior that sinners need. Jesus is the evidence that God has not abandoned this world, and Jesus is the Savior that sinners need. You and I are sinners, and we need to be rescued. We are guilty of dismissing God's laws, of misplacing our love that he deserves, of giving into our lust. We are enslaved both by defensible pursuits, things that seem fine, but we give way too much attention to, but also to illicit passions, the things that we know that we are guilty of. We are blinded by the self-centeredness of our thinking. At times, our minds are trained, kind of like rats in a maze, to get our own way in record time, getting what we want as quickly as possible. Other times, our minds enslaved to sin are stuck on an unending sequence of mental hamster wheels. You guys, have, ever, have you ever had a hamster that goes on those wheels and they just keep running, keep running? Our minds are sometimes a whole sequence of those. We have a whole bunch of hamster wheels, and our minds just go from one to another. What our boss thinks of us? What home improvement is next? What's the next skill to master? What's going to be the next job I'm going to have? Some of us are just obsessed with getting what we want next. Some of us are obsessed with what we're going to do next. Our focus, though, is upon ourselves instead of our God. And for this, we deserve an eternal punishment for a lifetime of independent living and disobedient loving, loving our own way above God's way, and, and loving our own personal gods above the one true God. See, God sees the effect of sin. He the, sees the effect on our world. He sees the effect on our city. On our families. He sees the effect of sin on you. And God has pity on those who are enslaved to sin, who are dominated by their desires. Because God has not abandoned this world, God has sent His Son Jesus to save sinners. He will save His people from their sin. It's a promise. The little baby in the stable became the liberator from sin and self. 
See, Jesus rescues from the guilt of sin by purchasing forgiveness with his blood. Jesus rescues from slavery to sin by uniting us to his own son's resurrected life. Jesus rescues from the sneaky persuasion of sin by washing us with his word so he transforms our desires. And Jesus will one day rescue from the very presence of sin when he returns to banish all who have chosen their way above God's way and their truth above God's truth. Jesus' salvation of his people will be 100% complete. Are you one of those who he has saved from sin? Or are you still a slave to sin? Has believing in God's Son ended the domination of your deceitful desires? Those things that promise happiness but just leave you empty? Are you increasingly under the transforming influence of God's Word? This is what it means to have Jesus as your Savior. Are you eager to be away from the impurity and selfishness and greed of this world, the greed that this world just dangles in front of you? And are you eager instead to be at home with your Savior? This is what it means to be saved. Jesus, whose name means the Lord saves, does exactly that. He rescues from sin. Not just from the the final punishment of sin after you die but from sin's power now in life. If you are in Jesus, you have been rescued from sin's power. You have the ability to say no to sin. But if you have not been rescued from sin's power, you are not one of his people. I know that that's sobering news this morning. But there is hope. God's word says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. God sent Jesus in the world to save sinners like you and me. So if you're looking and saying, I haven't been saved. I I am a slave to my own desires. I live my life for myself. I'm afraid of future judgment. Then turn to Jesus and be saved. Look to him in hope alone. Throw your rope on Jesus. Follow him. He is the only true and lasting hope. He's not a tugboat. He's a rock. He is the rock of salvation. He is able to save. That's why we have hope, because Jesus has not abandoned this world. And because God sent Jesus to save sinners. Now, we need to find out how Joseph responds to this angel's announcement of the Savior. But Matthew also gives a divine interpretation of the events here. We see that in Matthew 1, 22 and 23. Now, there's a small possibility. I won't say it's small. Some have argued that this is actually what the angel says here, and it could be. More commentators think that that this is Matthew speaking here and giving his interpretation, as he does many times in Matthew. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. See, God, right here, very near A.D. 1, somewhere between B.C. 1, A.D. 1, somewhere around there, is bringing to fulfillment of prophecy that was made 700 years previously. When people named their child Emmanuel, it was a prayer. May God be with us. 
We need God's presence. We need God to arrive. But the name Emmanuel has come to mean much more to his people. See, Jesus is not only the sign of God's favor, but the arrival of God's person. Listen to what Jesus says after his resurrection, after paying through his death the punishment of our sins. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, this after his resurrection, in his body, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It's incredible. All authority, complete control over the universe. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. I thought about that as we sing joy to the world, right? Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is Emmanuel, God himself with his people, even to the end of the age. He says, I am with you always. And he still is. He is with us. He is God's favor with us. And this is the third reason to hope in Jesus' birth. He's the evidence that God has not abandoned this world. He's the sinner that seen, the savior the sinners need. He's also the arrival of God's eternal favor. Jesus is the arrival of God's eternal favor. Now it's one thing to say, may God be, be, be with us. And that's what the name, name Emmanuel meant. It's kind of just a general wishing of God's blessing. In Star Wars, they say, may the force be with you which is basically hoping that nebulous kind of good stuff would happen to someone, right? Kind of good stuff, not really bad. When we say God with us, it's another way to say God himself with you. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I said it's another to have, it doesn't make any sense. It's another to have God himself with us. It's one thing to say God be with you, blessing. Hope good things happen to you. It's another to have God himself with you. When Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, God the Son forever became God the man. Unbreakable deity added frail humanity. The limitless creator took on the limits of a creature. God became a man. God the Father sent God the Son by God the Holy Spirit, one God and three persons, so his people could enjoy the eternal blessings of God's presence, so that sinners could receive God's favor instead of God's wrath. That's what Jesus' death is about. God the Son taking the eternal consequences we deserve so that we can receive God's eternal favor that Jesus deserved. So the question is, are you the recipient of God's eternal favor? Is God with you? See, God's favor is not seen just in a family Christmas photo. Many have beautiful photos in front of beautiful homes, full of blessings, but they can't say, God with us. God's favor is inseparable from believing in his son. 
believing in his living son, resurrected from the dead. If you have his son, if you have believed in him, you have God's favor. You have his unbreakable favor. His smile is always upon you if you are in Christ Jesus. God is forever with you. But if you are separate from God's son, you are apart from God's favor. All that you have to look forward to is God's wrath. It's unending punishment. Now, you may still be benefiting this morning from living on God's planet and eating God's food and getting to see these beautiful lights and hearing children sing. You may have nicely dressed children. You may have a home that glows with Christmas lights. You may have a pantry full of tasty Trader Joe holiday treats. You may have sent someone an ideal Christmas photo card. But the presence of Christmas trappings does not indicate God's favor. A picturesque scene is not the same as having God's Son. To have God's Son is to have God with you. God's eternal favor upon you. God's eternal, undeserved, unmerited favor, His presence to bless has arrived in His Son. How have you responded to the arrival of God's Son? Now, Joseph has a choice here, really. How is he going to respond to the announcement of his wife's virgin birth? Wrap your mind around that. Matthew 1, 24 to 25. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, Joseph becomes the first of many in Matthew's gospel who respond with faith to the good news of God's son. He obeys. He's not afraid any longer. He takes Mary into his home as his wife. And in fulfillment of the prophesied virgin birth, he doesn't know her in an intimate way. He doesn't know her as his wife. He submits to God's direction by the angel. And when the child is born, Joseph calls his name Jesus. And when he does so, it's not a prayer that God will save. Like those prayers that were uttered by so many other Jewish mamas and papas who named their babies Joshua or in Greek Jesus. It was Jesus's humble, it was Joseph's humble acknowledgement that this baby will save God's people from their greatest enemy, sin. This is Jesus. This is the Savior. This little boy is the Savior, Joseph said. Joseph obeyed the voice of God. He didn't question whether virgin birth was possible. He didn't let the potential shame of marrying a pregnant woman stop him. He responded to the announcement of Emmanuel with faith and obedience. So how will you respond this morning to the announcement of Jesus' birth? God has spoken through his word this morning. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Only Jesus can save you from your sins. So have you responded to this good news with faith and submission? Do you have hope? Do you have hope? Do you have not just a hope that someday I'll get to heaven, that my good deeds will outweigh my bad, but do you have conviction? Do you have certain hope? 
that God is with you because you have turned from your sin and in faith toward his son. This morning and tomorrow Christmas morning and every morning you have reason to hope in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is evidence that God has not abandoned this world. You have reason to hope because Jesus is the Savior that sinners need. And you have reason to hope because Jesus is the arrival of God's favor. God is with us. God is here in His person, in His Son, Jesus Christ. We can put our hope onto so many things that are passing by. You can have your confidence set in that perfect family photo. You can be dreaming of a future family photo. Those things will not save you. Your hope has to be on something certain. And there's nothing more certain than God's announcement that Jesus will save. That God the Son has become a man. It's your hope set on Jesus, the Son of David, the Son of God. Is your hope set on Jesus, the Son of David, the Son of God? There's no other place to put your hope. Let's pray. Father, this is a, a special thing that we get to call you. We get to know you as Father because of your Son, Jesus. Because of your eternal plan that you put into place. That you looked into human history and you saw sinners like us who would never do anything to deserve your grace. Who had nothing in them that was lovable at all and you loved them. You loved sinners. I thank you so much, Father, for loving sinners, for having the desire to make the undesirable your children. For doing that in this amazing plan of your son becoming the sacrifice for sinners. For him to take the blunt of your wrath. For that baby that once laid in the manger to take the punishment of our sins. Father, this, this is all so shocking. Lord, that you would love sinners enough to save us. We are humbled by that. That you would adopt us as your children. That Jesus would become the firstborn among many brethren. That you would make him the new Adam of a whole new race of people from around the world who worship you. Father, this plan is too amazing for us that we would call you Father. That you would give us this certain hope. Father, we deserve to be abandoned, but you showed grace. Father, we did not deserve to be saved from our sins, but you sent Jesus. We did not deserve your presence, but that's the picture of your word. That you have forever been planning to make a people for yourself. And so, Father, this, this morning as we come close to celebrating Christmas, the birth of Christ, we rejoice. We rejoice that you have sent Emmanuel, that you have sent God to be with us. That even now, Jesus, the living one, is reigning on his throne. And that we are just counting the days until he comes back. Father, bring him back quickly to make this world right. But Father, we thank you for your patience that you are waiting to save. And maybe there are those here this morning, Lord, that still need to be saved. We believe that there are, Lord. We pray that you would rescue in your grace. That you would help them. That you would expose to them the shallowness of their fleeting hopes, Lord. And that they would anchor their hope to Christ himself. 
the Savior of the world. We pray, Father, that our morning would be full of talking about your goodness and the hope that we have in your Son, that we'd give testimony tomorrow among our families and friends of the goodness of your grace, that we would be singing your praises. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for sending your Son, Emmanuel, to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.